Thank you so much for joining us for Ankeny Gospel Church Podcast. On this podcast, you can find sermons, classes, and other resources that continue to invite us into the mission of Jesus and the journey of faith. We hope this is a blessing to you, and if we can help you in any way, feel free to reach out. Good morning. My name is Dylan, and the scripture this morning is Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 15. Whenever you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, because they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. But when you pray, go into your private room, shut your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. When you pray, don't babble like the Gentiles, since they imagine they'll be heard for their many words. Don't be like them, because your Father knows the things you need before you ask him. Therefore, you should pray like this, Our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive others their offenses, your heavenly Father will forgive you as well. But if you don't forgive others, your Father will not forgive your offenses. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. <clears throat> we good? Morning, everybody. <laughs> Thank you. <clears throat> uh, let's continue um, this posture of worship and prayer. Uh, and if, if you haven't, I invite you to take your copy of the scriptures and turn to Matthew 6. And while you're doing that, I would just like to address our Father in heaven together. So, Father, we pray that your name would be honored as holy. That in our lives we would honor you. In our thoughts we would honor you. In our relationships we would honor you. Your character, your name. God, we ask that your kingdom would come. That your reign, your rule, your decisions, that they would happen. We pray that your will would be done, Lord. That what you desire would happen in our hearts, in our minds, in our bodies, in our relationships, in our city, in our world. As everything is in heaven, Lord, we want to see that here on earth. We want to see your peace. We want to see your love. We want to see your reign. We want to see your truth. We want to see your justice roll down the hills. We want to see the knowledge of you cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. And Lord, we do ask for provision today. We ask that you would give us everything that we need for today. We think of all the other churches right now that are meeting as well. Other churches in Ankeny other churches in the Des Moines metro and Iowa and all across the world, Lord, we are joining millions and millions of hearts and minds and voices and souls praising you. And God, I ask that you would provide for us. Father, we ask that you would forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lord, we have been forgiven so much. Jesus, your death on the cross has cleansed us and made us white as snow. And so I ask, Father, that you would forgive us and that you would give us the power to forgive those who have wronged us just as we have been forgiven when we have wronged you. 
And finally, Lord, we ask that you would not bring us into temptation, would not bring us into the test, but you would deliver us. Lord, you have passed the test. You have overcome the evil one. And so I ask in your power and your might that you, Holy Spirit, would fill us with yourself and you would deliver us from temptation of our thoughts, temptation of our motives, temptation from the evil one to believe lies. God, fill us with yourself. Allow us to experience you this morning, we pray. Pray all these things in your son's name and by the power of the Holy Spirit. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Well, it's good to see you all this morning. And uh, we're going to start off talking about, well, we're going to start and finish today talking about prayer. Prayer is powerful. Um, Prayer is powerful. Prayer is important. I'm going to read a few quotes from some saints from church history. Charles Spurgeon was asked one time, what's more important, reading the Bible or praying? And he paused and he like thought about it and he was in classic Spurgeon sarcasm. He said, what's more important, breathing in or breathing out? The idea being like, well, duh, they're, they're both important. Prayer is important. Prayer is powerful. George Mueller says this, I saw more clearly than ever, he's reflecting on his life, that the first great and primary business to which I ought to attend every single day is to find my soul happy in the Lord in prayer. John Wesley says this, God does nothing Nothing except in response to prayer. Elizabeth Ruth says this, to live is to pray. William Temple says this, when I pray, coincidences happen. When I don't, they don't. Karl Barth says, to clasp the hands in prayer is the beginning of an uprising against the disorder of this world. Leonard Ravenhill says, no man is greater than his prayer life. He also says this, at the judgment seat, the most embarrassing thing the believer will face will be the smallness of his or her praying. Andrew Murray says this, prayer is the highest part of work that God has entrusted to us. There is nothing we need, we so need to study and practice as the art of praying. Martin Luther says this, to be a Christian without prayer is no more possible than to be alive without breathing. He also says, I'm so busy today that I need to get up three hours early and spend the first three hours of my day in prayer. What did you do on your busiest day this last week? I know I didn't wake up three hours early and get praying. I woke up three hours early and it's like, I have so much to do. Prayer is powerful. Prayer is important. These are just quotes from, you know, saints in church history. What does Jesus say about prayer? What does the Bible say about prayer? Luke 11 verse 9, Jesus says this, ask and it'll be given to you. Seek it, and you're going to find it. Knock, and the door is going to be open to you. Everyone who keeps on asking receives. That's a promise. Everyone who keeps on seeking finds. Everybody who knocks, the door will be open. Mark eleven twenty four. Therefore, I tell you, this is Jesus talking, everything you pray and ask for, believe that you have it, and it will be yours. This isn't prosperity gospel teaching. This is the words of Jesus right here. John 14, whatever you ask in my name, I'm going to do it for you so that the Father might be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. John 15, verse 7, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you want and it will be done for you. John 16, anything you ask the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Matthew 21, if you believe, you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer. Prayer is powerful, prayer is important, and according to Jesus, Jesus himself promises that when we pray, Things happen. And yet, more often than not, my experience with prayer, our experience with prayer does not live up to the hype of those quotes of that scripture 
right? I mean, we, I look at these quotes, I, I listen to these quotes, and I'm like, man, that's not, I don't, they're, they're experiencing something. Jesus is promising something that I have not tapped into. Henry Nouwen says this, that the contrast between the great support for the idea of prayer and the lack of support for the practice of prayer is abundantly and blatantly visible, right? In other words, like, we love the idea of prayer. We're like, yeah, prayer, like, I love that idea. I love it. It's, it's, you hear these quotes from these saints of old, and you're like, wow, that's powerful. You hear Jesus promise all this stuff himself in prayer, and you're like, oh my goodness, like this, what else am I going to be doing? And yet we go home, and we have this great support for the idea of prayer, but then we lack in the, the practice of prayer. Why is that? Well, there's a lot of reasons, but one of them is probably that prayer conjures up a lot of feelings, doesn't it? When you, when you heard this, this, the text read this morning that it was on the Lord's Prayer, probably a lot of thoughts, feelings, or emotions came to your, your head or mind because prayer brings up a lot of experiences with it. Maybe you've experienced some of these and you can relate to some of these feelings. Prayer is, sometimes we think, maybe you've experienced this, prayer is just boring, right? Like if you're actually honest with yourself, you're like, prayer is kind of boring. Uh, don't worry, the, the pastor just said it, so it's, you know, it's okay. I don't think prayer is boring, but you know, we, we experience that, right? Like, what am I doing? I'm just, I'm just kind of sitting. What's going on? I feel like I have to fold my hands. Why, why do I do that? Maybe for some of you, you've felt that prayer is obligatory. Well, I, sh- I ought to pray. Well, I should pray, because that's what you know, Christians do. Maybe some of you experience like resignation in prayer. You're like, well, everything's going to happen how it's going to happen, and God's going to do whatever he's going to do, so why do I even need to pray? Maybe for some of you, it's uh, guilt and shame that you feel because you're like, I ought to be praying. I don't pray enough, so am I bad? Does God not love me enough? Would I pray more if I love Jesus more? Does this mean that I don't love Jesus? And it brings this guilt and this shame and this fear. Maybe for some of us, we fear prayer. We fear being naive or vulnerable or we fear silence. We fear our selfish motives. We're overanalyzing everything that our heart's doing. We fear like we're doing it wrong, so we might as well just not do it at all. And then finally, the cherry on top. We've prayed before. You've prayed before. You've, ex- you've exposed your heart to God before in prayer. You've prayed for that broken relationship. You've prayed for a lost loved one to be saved. You've prayed for the healing of a disease, of a sickness, and God is silent. He doesn't answer. The bold promises of prayer in Scripture seem far removed from the lived experience of prayer in our lives. Is that true of you? Can you relate to that on some level? Where you hear these people talk about prayer, you hear Jesus himself talk about prayer, and you're like, I want that, but my experience of it is far removed from anything like that. Our lived experience of prayer is miles away from the promises and the lives of these saints. Why is that? Well, I think it's twofold. One, we forget how to pray, and two, we forget what to pray. We forget how to pray, and we forget what to pray. Those are the two points that Jesus gives us today. How to pray, what to pray. Now, when I say how to pray and what to pray, you might be thinking, seriously? Like, this is like, I feel like this is like 101. Like, this is like pretty basic stuff. What do we, what do we mean? I, I, I think right now is an opportunity in a very familiar passage like the Lord's Prayer 
and a very familiar thing like praying, if we're talking about how to pray and what to pray, I think we are invited into an opportunity to what Luther says, begin again. He says the whole Christian life is just beginning again, learning again, never stop starting. And so I, I want to invite us to, as we look at what Jesus says about prayer, instead of say, I already know that, I'm good, I know how to pray, I know what to pray, let's invite the Holy Spirit in to teach us, to bring down the walls. We, I, I always use this illustration, always. I often use this illustration of a mirror. Whenever we hear a passage that's familiar or whenever we feel the Holy Spirit coming or we listen to a sermon, we take up a big mirror and we just deflect it to somebody else. We're like, man, I really hope so-and-so is listening to this sermon right now. Or, man, I really am gonna, I'm going to send this podcast to somebody else. because they, And it's a mirror deflecting the, the, the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit to convict us. So I want to invite us to just set those mirrors down. Even if you think you know how to pray, you know what to pray, this is basic, you know, this is the Lord's Prayer. I mean, how much more basic can it get? Let's invite the Holy Spirit to teach us, to move us, and we have an opportunity for Jesus. Jesus is waiting for us, right? We're going to see that. Jesus is waiting for us in the secret place, in the inner room. So let's, uh, let's dive in and, and figure that out together. First, how to pray. Here's how you pray. Here's the answer. Get to the secret place. I'm going to explain that in a second, but that's the answer. Get to the inner room. Get alone. Get to the secret place. Let's look at verse 5 together. Verse 5 of Matthew chapter 6 says this. Whenever you pray, this is Jesus talking in the Sermon on the Mount. Whenever you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. Why? Because they love to pray standing in the synagogues, on the street corners, in order to be seen by other people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. Last week, Nate uh, Pritchard did a great job showing us that hypocrites in the Bible are people who do the right action with the wrong motive. Right action, wrong motive. In our world, we think of hypocrite as saying one thing and doing another, and that's true. Don't say one thing and do another. Don't lie. But in the Bible, a hypocrite is somebody who does the right action with the wrong motive. Think about these people praying, these hypocrites praying. Does, God, does Jesus condemn prayer? No. It's a right action. You, you should pray. Does Jesus condemn prayer in the synagogues, in like the worship buildings, in the church buildings, or on the street corners? No. He does not condemn public prayer. What does he condemn? The motive. Don't be like the hypocrites. They pray standing in the synagogues on the street corners. Why? To be seen by people. In the entire Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is targeting the heart. He's making a beeline towards your interior life, your motives. And this is no different. So Jesus is asking here, what's your motive in prayer? When you pray, what's your motive? What's your heart behind it? When you join a small group, when you attend a church, Are you just playing church? Are you going through the motions? What's your heart behind it? Because if your motives are to please others, to look good in other people's eyes, to make other people think well of you, to pat you on the back, or it's just the, what our culture does, and so I'm going to do this, then that little pat on the back and that little applause is all that you're going to get. Now, how do you, you might be thinking, they're like, what's my motive in prayer? When I pray, what, what is my motive in prayer? How do I find out my motive in prayer? Get to the secret place. Get to the inner room. Not only will you find out your motive in prayer when the sounds and noises of this world subside, but you will experience the power and the presence of God himself. In the inner room, in the secret place, you will experience God. How do I know? Look at verse six. 
But when you pray, so Jesus is like, don't be like the hypocrites who have the right action but the wrong motive. Have a whole complete motive that is in line with your actions. But when you pray, verse six, go into your private room, shut the door, and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. Leonard Ravenhill says this, the secret of praying is praying in secret. I love that. The secret of praying is praying in secret. Now, when Jesus says to go into your private room and shut the door, what he means is to go into your private room and shut the door. A private room was, in this uh, context, in the house in like the first century Palestine, you had an outer room and an inner room, right? The outer room was the door to like the street or the neighborhood was like there and you walk in, you're like this outer room and there's like the living area and the table and the, all this stuff where you would have... Um, you know, meals and you'd have friends over and you would have hangouts and fellowship. It was like the fellowship room. And uh, then there was an inner room. And what an inner room was, was another room inside that had no doors or windows to the outside at all. It was private. It was completely private. People would put their valuables there. If you had a safe, I don't know what a first century safe would look like, but if you had a first century safe, you would put it in the inner room and it would have a door and it would have a lock. No outside, nothing. No windows to the outside, no doors to the outside. Jesus says what? When you pray, go there. Get alone. Shut the door. Why does he say shut the door? Get rid of all distractions. Don't let anybody even come in to this room. Don't do it. Leave your phone out there. Leave your headphones out there. Put the books down. Turn off everything. Get to the secret place and be alone with God. Why? God is there. God is there. Look, he says as much. Shut your door, right? Middle of verse six. When you pray, go into your private room, i.e. completely alone. Shut your door and pray to your father who is in secret. Where is your father? In the secret place. Is, you, is God in the noise? God is everywhere. Hear, hear me say that. God is everywhere. God is omnipresent, right? But is God in the, can you experience, hear, love, pray to God, commune with God at a deep, intimate level in the noise and the hustle and bustle everywhere? No. Why? God is in the secret place. The Father is there. Think of Elijah, right? He was in the mountain. He was tucked, and then he was tucked away, and then this huge storm passes by. God is not in the storm. This huge fire passes by. God is not in the fire. Then what happens? This little wind, tiny little wind passes by, and he hears God, and it says God is in the still, small voice. Where is God? He is waiting for you in the secret place. How do you find out your motives in prayer? Do you want to meet God? Do you want to experience the power and the presence of God? Do you want to talk with God? Not just to God. Do you want to talk with God? Do you want to be aware of God's presence every single moment? Every single moment of your day? Do you want to be able to discern the lies of the enemy when they come in and they tell you you're not good enough, you need to prove yourself, God doesn't love you, he's slightly disappointed you. Do you want to be able to discern that and fight against it? Do you want to be filled with the fruit of the Spirit? Get to the secret place. Get alone with God. Remove all distractions and sit with your father who is in secret. How, secret. How do we know this will work? Is this just some, you know, like new age, like preachy, teachy stuff? No, how do we know this will work? Jesus himself did it. I'm gonna, I'm gonna blitz through a lot of passages of scripture right now to 
kind of just prove a point here. Jesus himself got to the secret place. Matthew chapter 4, Jesus withdrew by himself into Galilee. Matthew 14, Jesus withdrew by himself and the disciples into a boat. Matthew 14, 23, Jesus went to a mountain, left the disciples by himself to pray. Matthew 15, verse 21, Jesus withdrew again from the disciples in order to pray. Matthew 17, verse 1, Jesus took the three by themselves up to the mountain, and the three of them prayed there, but then he left them. Matthew 26, Jesus left the disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane and went by himself alone in the secret place to pray. John 6, 15, Jesus withdrew to the mountain by himself. Mark 1, 35, Jesus got up early, went to a deserted place, and prayed. You guys get the picture? No? All right, I'll keep going. Mark 1, 45, Jesus was in a deserted place, and people came to him. Mark 6, 32, Jesus tells the disciples to get away to a deserted place to rest and to pray. Mark 6, 46, Jesus went away to the mountain to pray by himself. Mark 14, the prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. Luke 4, Jesus went to a deserted place. Luke 5, yet Jesus, this is the key, yet he, Jesus, often withdrew to deserted places and prayed. Luke 6, 12, Jesus went to the mountain, prayed, spent all night in prayer. Luke 9, Jesus was praying in private. Do you wonder how Jesus was able to fight the temptations of the enemy? Do you ever wonder how Jesus was so filled with the life of the Spirit that when you bumped into him, the love of God just poured out? It's because he was drawing his life source from something outside of him, namely the Father. Jesus himself said, I can't do anything that the, unless the Father like, lets me do it. Jesus got alone and prayed. What kind of a person was Jesus? Well, he was a person who was poor in spirit. He mourned over the brokenness of the world. He was humble. He hungered and thirsted for righteousness. He was a peacemaker. He was pure in heart. He was the light of the world. He was the salt of the earth. He was selfless, loving, compassionate, patient, kind, gracious, meek, gentle, lowly, filled with the fruit of the spirit. Was it an accident? You might be saying, well, he was God, so obviously that was easy. But he was also human. And how did he, where did he get the power of the Holy Spirit into his life? He got it in the secret place. True flourishing, true flourishing. A truly flourishing life is a life that draws its life source from something outside of itself. Where are you drawing your life source from? Do you expect to be able to fight the lies of the enemy by constantly going 100 miles an hour from when you wake up to when you sit down and praying twice a day? Do you expect to grow in patience do you expect to be filled with the fruit of the Spirit and not spend time? Jesus himself didn't even do that. So what are my excuses for trying to do that? Think about Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, right? Garden of Gethsemane, he's about to be betrayed. He's about to be killed. And what does he do? He takes his disciples. He sets them there. He says, hey, stay awake and pray. He goes off to the secret place by himself and he prays. And he cries out that the will of God would be done. He comes back to his disciples. What are they doing? They're asleep, knocked out. He's like, come on, guys. Wake up. Pray, pray, pray. He's like, okay, yeah, sorry. Goes back by himself to the secret place, prays to the Father. Comes back. What are the disciples doing? They're asleep. He says, guys, wake up. The spirit is willing. The flesh is weak. Pray. He goes off again by himself, prays. Prays so intensely that it, literally the veins popping his, he's, he's sweating drops of blood. He comes back, he says, the hour is at hand. The Son of Man is going to be betrayed. And the disciples, what happens when the Roman soldiers come? What happens? The disciples do what? They run away. And what does Jesus do? He stands. 
He stands calm in full surrender to the will of God for his life. And the disciples are, they, they don't show up again till after the resurrection. Jesus is so filled with the life of God because he was praying in the secret place that he was able to be led to his death and pray for the people who were killing him saying, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Do you want that kind of life? Do you want a life where the, where the, the, the words from your you know, family member or your coworker, they just get at you, but instead of reacting, you can say, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Do you want the kind of life that when something doesn't go your way again, you don't react in anger and bitterness and impatience and anxiety, but you exhale and you know, you know that the Lord is in control? Do you want the kind of life that is free from lust of the mind and envy and greed about what other people have? Get to the secret place. Draw your life from Jesus. Draw your example from Jesus. It doesn't matter if it's a dingy corner in your basement. It doesn't matter if it's your actual closet and you close the door. It doesn't matter if it's a route that you have that you walk down and you're, you're, you, just, you walk it over and over again and you're praying and you're crying out to the Father. Whatever it is, get alone. Get rid of all distractions. Get to the secret place and meet God there. You will be blown away at the results not just the results, but the intimacy with Jesus that you can have. You can actually talk with God, not just talk to God. So how do you pray? Get to the secret place. What do you pray? Verse nine. Therefore, Jesus says, you should pray like this. Now, when Jesus says, therefore, you should pray like this, what he means is, therefore, you should pray like this. I know, it sounds really, this is why you guys are paying me, by the way. I went to seminary to just tell you that Jesus means what he says, and we should take him seriously. I say this because it surprises me how few people actually, how few disciples of Jesus actually pray the Lord's Prayer. And yet Jesus kind of assumes that his disciples are going to pray what? The Lord's Prayer. You should pray like this. Pray, pray, the, pray the Lord's Prayer. What do we pray? We pray the Lord's Prayer. This is what it says. Our Father in heaven. Our Father in heaven. I don't know who this is for today, but I need to say this. God is your Father. God looks at you as a child, as his child, as his son, as his daughter. Jesus did not start our King, our God, our Lord, our Master. Are all those things true? Yes. What is the primary way that Jesus identifies to God? Father. What is our primary way that we identify our relationship with God? The most important thing that comes to your mind is what the first thing you think about when you think about God. Do you think about God as Father? Loving. Selfless. Caring. For you. Our Father in heaven. And then there are three petitions. The Lord's Prayer is divided up into two parts. Uh, the first part is how you relate to God. The second part is how you relate to others. Praying for God, praying for others. In other words, loving God and loving others. There are three petitions in each part. 
part one, there are three petitions. And the first of the three is, your name be honored as holy. Maybe you're familiar with the uh, old King James, hallowed be thy name. I don't think anybody uses the word hallowed. I mean, maybe you do. If, ca- if, that, if that's the case, I apologize. But I don't think anybody uses the word hallowed anymore, except maybe like Halloween or something. What it means is just your name be honored as holy. It means like holyify, sanctify, make holy, make glorious, make these things happen. Your name be honored as holy. What does it mean for the name of God to be honored as holy? And why does Jesus invite us to pray your name be honored as holy? Well, it means a few things. It means that what? God's name is not always honored as holy. It's not always honored as holy in our lives. It's not always honored as holy in our relationships. And so what Jesus is inviting us to do is to pray with him to make God's name holy. Implication number two is that my name, my character, my reputation, get out of the way. Father in heaven, your name, your character, your reputation be honored as holy in my life, in my relationships, in my jobs. Petition number one, your name be honored as holy. Petition number two, your kingdom come. A kingdom involves everything, economy, geography, people, government, you know, everything. And what this prayer is, is that the kingdom of heaven would come. The kingdom of God is the range of God's effective will. And Jesus, what he invites us to do is he invites us to pray with him that God's reign would be in my life, would be in my heart, would be in our church, would be in this world. Father, I want your kingdom. God is not, you know, prime minister or president of a democracy. He is a king and we are in his kingdom. So Jesus is asking us to pray, your kingdom come, implication being what? His kingdom's not here yet. It's not fully here yet, sorry. His kingdom is not fully here yet. Petition number one, your name be honored as holy. Petition number two, your kingdom come. Petition number three, your will be done. God's will is not a mystery. God's will is your holiness, your sanctification. It's not a guessing game. It's not a blueprint to be followed. It's his desire, his intention, and his purpose. And what Jesus is asking is that God's desire, intention, purpose, and will would be done in my heart, in my life, in my relationships, in my church, in my city, and in my world. Implication being what? It's not always fully done here yet. Otherwise, Jesus wouldn't pray for it. Father, your name be honored as holy. It's not always honored as holy here. Father, your kingdom come. It, it's, not, it's not fully here yet. Father, you will be done. It doesn't happen all the time. I can say no to the Holy Spirit. I can do what's not in God's will for my life. Three petitions. Your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. We're going to skip down to verse 11. Three petitions for ourselves. Give us this day our daily bread. This prayer shows us our need. Give us this day our daily bread. Don't give us tomorrow's bread or bread enough for, you know, this year or bread enough for five years from now or bread enough for 10 years from now. If you want a life without needs, then you want a life without God. What this prayer does is it reminds us that we rely on God for everything. Don't give me my daily bread. Give us our daily bread. Father, provide for us. Father, give us what you know we need. 
You know what we need before we even ask it, so give us what you know we need. This is an allusion to the wilderness generation, right? Every single day they were provided what by God? Daily bread, manna. What would happen if they took more bread for the next day? It would rot. It would have worms, and it would just be gross, and it would make you sick. In other words, God wants us to remember that we rely on him daily. It's really hard for us in a consumeristic, individualistic society where we have everything we need. We need. Make this prayer your own. Give us today our daily bread. That's petition number one in the second part of the Lord's Prayer. Petition number two, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. God deals with sin by forgiving sin. We should do the same. As we have been forgiven, so we forgive others. Petition number three, do not bring, I know I'm flying through this, I'm sorry. Petition number three, verse 13, do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Some of your translations might say from evil. Uh, um, Evil, evil one, it could be the same thing. But this is definitely an allusion to Jesus being led into the wilderness to be tested, to be tempted, and defeat, ultimately he defeated the evil one. What this prayer is, is saying, we can't, we can't do this, God. I, I cannot go into the wilderness, fast for 40 days and 40 nights, and defend the, the, the most strong attacks from the enemy. I can't do it on my own. What I need, Lord, is I need you to deliver me. I need you to save me. I need you to give me your strength that you have. I want you to deliver me from temptation. Don't lead us into the test. Don't lead us in the wilderness, God, we pray, but lead us or deliver us from temptation from the evil one. Then verses 14 and 15 is kind of like an addendum. And I'm just going to read it and let it sit with you and send you off with it. And then we're going to go back to something else here in a second. Verse 14, if you forgive others their offenses, your heavenly father will forgive you as well. That sounds great. If I forgive others, I'm forgiven. Verse 15, but if you don't forgive others, your father will not forgive your offenses. Well, that sounds contingent. That sounds like, you know, not grace. That sounds like I have to do something in order to be forgiven by God. You don't have to do things to be forgiven by God. But if you've been forgiven by God and you do not forgive others, then you have not understood the forgiveness that the Lord has given you. Matthew 18, there's a parable about a person who's in debt tens of thousands of dollars and he he cries out he says forgive me forgive me save me i'm so sorry i can't pay it back and his his master he forgives him he says all right fine i'll forgive you that person who's forgiven he goes and some guy owns him owes him like two bucks and he says if you can't pay it i'm throwing you in jail he throws him in jail previous master finds out and is like what what are you doing You've just been forgiven so much and you can't turn around and forgive others. You're going to the place of weeping and gnashing of teeth forever. That's what Jesus is saying here. You and I have been forgiven by Jesus' work on the cross. If we don't forgive others, we have not experienced that true forgiveness. How can we not forgive others when they speak ill of us when they talk, behind our ba- talk about us behind our backs, when they just annoy us, 
How can we not forgive others when we have been forgiven much? Jesus says it right here. He doesn't give any qualifiers. If you forgive others, you're forgiven. If you don't forgive others, you're not forgiven. The heart of Jesus is forgiveness, love, and grace, which means that the heart of his disciples will be forgiveness, love, and grace. Now, I skipped a line in the Lord's Prayer. Anybody catch that? If you didn't, that's okay. End of verse 10. The end of verse 10. Look at the end of verse 10 here with me. This is where we're going to wrap up. It says this, On earth as it is in heaven. The Sermon on the Mount is three chapters. Matthew chapter 5, Matthew chapter 6, Matthew chapter 7. What's the middle chapter of those three chapters? Matthew chapter 6. What's the... uh, middle section of chapter number six i guess it's the beginning section of chapter number six the middle section is the three examples of righteousness giving to the poor which we talked about last week lord's prayer which we're talking about this week and next week we're talking about fasting those three examples are right in the middle of the lord's prayer now in those three examples what's the middle of those three examples the lord's prayer so what's the center of the sermon on the mount the lord's prayer and what's the center? We have three petitions of God. Your, your name be honored is holy. Your kingdom come, your will be done. We have three petitions centered around man. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts and do not lead us but deliver us. What's the center of the Lord's prayer? This little phrase, on earth as it is in heaven. Which means what? What's the center of the entire Sermon on the Mount? This little phrase, on earth as it is in heaven. Which means, what's probably the main idea of the entire Sermon on the Mount? On earth as it is in heaven. When we pray, when we live, when we want to be filled with the Spirit of the living God, we are praying with our whole being, God, as it is in heaven, as it is up there, I want it to be so right here, right now. In heaven, God's name is already honored as holy. I want that reality right here, right now. In heaven, God's kingdom is already there. I want that reality. I want to be a taste of that kingdom to everybody who I interact with right here, right now. In in heaven, God's will is done completely and fully. I want to be so surrendered to the Lord that his will is done completely and fully in my life right here, right now, on earth as it is in heaven. I want to be so... Um, uh, surrendered that I know that God will give me what I need for today and I don't have to worry about tomorrow because he t- he's going to take care of me. I want everything. I want the fruit of the spirit. I want the beatitudes. I want to be the salt and the light of the world. What is all of that saying? I want to have a greater righteousness that surpasses the scribes and the Pharisees. I don't want to be like the hypocrites. I want to be pure in heart. What is all of that on earth as it is in heaven? The kingdom of heaven is here. The Holy Spirit has given us himself so that we can go around and it's like we're, it's like we're, we're representing heaven. We are the kingdom of heaven right here, right now. So I want to ask you this question to conclude. If, all of, if God answered, just decided right now, if God answered, decided to answer all of your prayer requests, how much would change? What would change? If God answered every single one of your prayers, what would change? Would your, would your life change? Would nothing change? Would the world 
change? Would Ankeny change? Would this church change? Would your relationships change? Would your heart posture change? God is waiting for us to get to the secret place and make the Lord's Prayer our own. Make it our own. Memorize it. Read it again and again and again. And when you're tired of reading it again and again, read it again and again. Use it as a starting point. Use it as a guide and use it as the finish line. This is our prayer. How do we pray? We get to the secret place. What do we pray? We pray the Lord's Prayer. We make it our own. We, we ingest it so that when we cry out, our genuine prayer is, Lord, on earth as it is in heaven. God is waiting for us. What might God do? What might God do if his people prayed? What might God do if you and I took Jesus' promises seriously and we prayed? What might God do if you got to the secret place every single day Every single day, you met God and you brought him with you to your life. God is waiting for us in the secret place, in the inner room, in the stillness, in the silence. God is waiting for us to pray on earth as it is in heaven. So I want to conclude and I want to practice this. I want to do this right now. And I'm going to pray the Lord's Prayer. And so if you would, in, in join me in opening your hands, maybe just on your lap, whatever, and opening your hands as a sign, as a symbol, an outward posture of an inward heart posture, where we are saying, God, I want your will to be done right here, right now. Let's pray. Our Father, our Father, we thank you that you are our Father. We thank you so much, Lord, that you delight in us, that you look to us as your children that you love us, that you say to us, you are my child and with you, with us, you are well pleased. Our Father, we know that you are here and we know that in heaven you are fully there. So Lord, I pray right now, Father, that your name, your reputation, your character, it would be honored as holy in our lives here at AGC. That we would represent you, that you are a Lord, the Lord, a God slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. You're merciful, you're compassionate, you're gracious. Lord, we do not want to defile your name, but we want your name to be honored as holy, to get the credit that it is rightfully due. Father, we also pray that your kingdom would come. We know right now there are thousands and thousands and millions of angels and saints who are falling down at your feet, worshiping. That's your kingdom. God, make that so right now. Father, we want your will to be done Father, we ask that you would surrender our wills, our desires, and we would submit to you, to your will. As, as Jesus, Jesus, as you did in the Garden of Gethsemane, that we would cry out, Lord, not our will, but your will be done. Make it so here on earth as it is in heaven. Again, we ask that you would provide for us today. You would show us our need for you. You would forgive us of our debts, of our sins, of our sins of omission, sins of commission, and Lord, that you would give us the power to forgive others. You would bring people to mind. You would bring names to mind, situations to mind, and you would give us the power to forgive. And Lord, we do not want to be led into the temptation, for we know that we often fail. So Lord, we cry out that you would save us. You would deliver us. 
from the schemes of the evil one, from the lies of the evil one, from the world, the flesh, and the devil. And God, we know that yours is the kingdom. Yours is the power. And yours is the glory forever and ever. And we delight in that. We pray all these things in your son's name and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks again for listening, and we pray this was a blessing to you. If you have any questions or comments about what you heard, our email is info at or you can find us on social media at Gospel. Thank you.